Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life for Abena podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. For the last two years, we've been journeying through Genesis as a community, delving into the origin stories and histories of our faith. In this series of Genesis, we step into the patriarchal families of Abraham and continue to see how both the promise of God is fulfilled, but also the brokenness of man. Ultimately, we see that even though we are the great promise breakers, he is the great promise keeper. We pray that this message is a blessing. I'd just love to, um, again, just extend a really warm welcome to everybody who's here, who's joined in worship here in this room and also online. It's so great to have you here. Um, it's just a, a joy and a delight. And if you're here, especially for the, for the first time, if you're new to church, I just want to extend a special welcome uh, and, a, and a warm, uh, we're so glad you're here, message from us today. My name is Fiona and I've got the joy of um, bringing the word, the message this morning. This is... Season 3, Episode 2 of Genesis. Uh, You might have realised that throughout the last three years, new life has begun. Um, As we've got into the year, we've actually had an intentional time looking at the book of Genesis and studying that and going deep into that. And this is our our third and final season of doing that. Uh, And this is our second message uh, for the actual series. I'm going to, I love that James prayed as I came up, so I'm just going to go straight in and bring to you God's word this morning, and you can follow along behind if you like. The words will be on the screen. And today we're looking at Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 to 22. That's Genesis 28, verses 10 to 22. Jacob's dream. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and he lay in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. On the land which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad the east and the west and the north and the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and we will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to do. When Jacob woke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And then he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his, pillow, uh, under his head as a pillow, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil upon it. He called the place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will, if, and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of it and of, and of all that you give me, I will surely give you one-tenth." This is the word of the Lord. 
Would you imagine something with me? Imagine a 12-year-old boy. Uh, he is in a situation in his home life where his father has just walked out on him and his mother. There's been years of conflict and fighting and now dad has left and dad's taken all of the savings and all of the resources that the family had accumulated. This is a hundred years ago, so you could maybe then imagine further what it might have been like for this little boy, his name is Arthur, to me what it was like for Arthur's mother to be left without resources, to be left without a place to live, to be left without an income, someone to care and protect for them. So, so left, they're left to their own devices and Arthur's mother needs to go and find work somewhere. She's not skilled or educated, so she does actually find work as a live-in housekeeper. But Arthur isn't able to go and visit this place where his mother's working. His mother's name is Selena. And Selena does get this wonderful job, really, that begins to start to get them back on their feet, but Arthur needs to actually fend for himself and sort out his own situation. For over a year, Arthur experiences homelessness as a 12-year-old in the western suburbs of Sydney. After a year or so, um, through things that have happened, the comings and goings of his life, doing what we call today couch surfing, um, Arthur happened to come across a family who took him in. And that family were people who attended the local Methodist church. And Arthur had the opportunity to come into this family. This family already had twin boys. Their names were Jack and Alan. And so Arthur and Jack and Alan became a bit of a family and together they did life and supported Arthur until he was able to finish school, until he was able to get into the workforce. And then beyond that, uh, they took Arthur to church each week. And in this little Methodist church in the western suburbs of Sydney, Arthur gave his life to Jesus and became a Christian and continued to grow in his faith. And then... Um, at a time later on, both him and his now adopted twin brothers, they both enter the ministry, into the Methodist ministry, and serve the Methodist church back then in many different ways and in different, and in different capacities. So Arthur had a pretty rough start in life. Life as a 12-year-old, experiencing such hard times, the loneliness and the trauma of the separation of his parents and the fear of the future... And indeed, just that sense of tremendous isolation, kind of hitting rock bottom. That was his experience as a little guy. And there's something beautiful about that story, and that is that, as you just heard, through God's grace, God had a plan for his life and for his life to be restored and for him to come to know Jesus Christ. And I'm very, very grateful for that story because Arthur is actually my grandfather. And you can have a look at the screen behind you. There's just uh, an image that I have with me always that reminds me of the dysfunction of my own family. Uh, that uh, my grandfather spent a lot of time on his own while his mother worked here at a place called Oatlands House, which is in North Parramatta, where she was the housekeeper. This story that I've just told you and the story that we heard in scripture um, of Jacob's life, I hope that you find them kind of relatable. Um, because I think that what they paint a picture for us of is a story of people who are flawed. People who are flawed, but yet stories about how God still manages to do his work in and through them. Let's take a closer look at Jacob's life, because things actually seem to now be in quite an intractable mess for Jacob's life. He's on the run. 
He's fleeing from his life and he's running away from home. And why, you might ask? Well, actually, I think since from birth, there have been struggles in this family. There has been dysfunction, there's been mistrust, there's been scheming, there's been deception, particularly between the two twin brothers, Esau and Jacob. And these two brothers are very, very different people. Esau was the skillful hunter. He was the outdoors guy. And Jacob was the quiet man living in the tents. I think that Jacob's greatest adventure in life was actually trying out a new recipe. And yet, you know what? His parents played a part in this dysfunction as well. Jacob's father, Isaac, Isaac really favoured Esau. Esau was really good for getting good game, which meant Isaac always had a good meal that he could look forward to at the end of the day. Yet, actually, it was Rebecca who loved Jacob. So there was this, even within the family dynamic, there was this need for both the boys on some level to perform, to be loved and accepted by their father. And I think Jacob probably did without his father's love for many years. And because of this, he just grasped at things. That was what his name means. He had this sense of inadequacy and he strove to actually get what he needed in life. And at many times, he acted heartlessly and callously towards his brother. He shrewdly tricked his brother out of his birthright. And then later, Esau, for Esau and again, he removes from Esau the father's final blessing given to um, the boys at the end of Isaac's life. So now this is why he's fleeing, because Esau is saying, I'm going to kill him. And given that that's the skillful hunter, you probably want to get on the road, so to speak, and get out of that place. And that's exactly what um, Jacob is now doing. He's having to make a run for it. And he goes and finds his mother's family side of the family. He's headed there. It's a very long journey that he's going to have to go on. And he's actually going there, not just to escape his brother Esau, who wants to kill him, but he's going there also to find a wife. Yet before he finds a wife, he finds God. He's on this journey, and Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament theologian, speaks about how journey is a precondition for the divine encounter in the Jacob story. This particular journey that Jacob's on now is actually a, such a turning point for him. It is the beginning. It is the beginning for Jacob with the living God, the God of his father and the God of his grandfather. And I think it's just worth what is happening in this place for Jacob where he encounters God. It says this, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. He came to a certain place. He stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head as a pillow and he laid down and went to sleep. So just in taking in that beautiful scene, it's very vivid and I hope that you're imagining that we don't think that Jacob has very much with him. It seems to be that if you need to use a rock for a pillow, you don't have anything else. You're without anything else. You don't even have a spare pair of socks that you can roll up and shove under your head to sleep on. There's no extra coat. There's probably no, there's no backpack. It would seem as that Jacob has absolutely nothing with him. He has nothing with him and he's in the middle of absolutely nowhere. The way that the Bible describes this place is simply that. It's a place. It's utterly nondescript. It's the middle of the middle of nowhere. It's the nowhere of nowheres. There's no tree, there's no brook, there's no ford, there's no gorge, there's no landmark that tells anything descriptive about this place. It is just a place. And you know what else? The sun is set. And with nothing, with nothing and in the middle of nowhere, it gets dark. Darkness descends. 
Can you relate? Can you relate to ever being in a place or being stuck in a place of isolation or of dysfunction or maybe just where darkness descends and you've hit rock bottom? I think life throws all sorts of these experiences at us. I can relate to this for me personally. Before and since coming to faith in Christ, I have known seasons of my own faith journey that's been a lot more about journey than about faith. I've experienced the pangs of loneliness. I've experienced senses of isolation, particularly for me. I experienced this in my gap year after school and into the first two couple of years of university. They were exactly like this. Whenever I tried to think about my future, whenever I seemed to look too far ahead, I would be overwhelmed because everything seemed so uncertain, even fear-inducing. I'm wondering if there's something of your own story that you're recalling to your mind, maybe something that's happening right now or something past. So what do you do? What do you do when you're facing a bit of a crisis of some sort, when you're in the middle of absolutely nowhere, when you've hit rock bottom, darkness descends and God seems far off? What do you do? If I had to guess what was going to happen in the story of Jacob, I wouldn't actually think that Jacob is about to encounter God. He just doesn't seem very well set up for that, right? I know we just haven't had any sense that he's kind of a searching kind of a guy or that he's, he's actually come to a place where he's recognised his need and he's called out to God and said, God, where are you? If you're out there, like we haven't got this sense that he's even expecting to have anything to do with God that God might encounter him. But yet, this is the God of relationship. This is a God of journey, of a plan for your life. And this is God of an encounter. And somehow, God in his grace has a plan to work in Jacob's life. And he takes Jacob on a journey of transformation. And what we discover as we jump ahead in this story as I just read it, is that what is actually true for Jacob is true for his seed. It is true for his offspring. It is true for us. So what actually happens in this encounter? Well, Jacob lays down on a rock and he falls asleep. And he dreams that there is a ladder or a stairway is actually a way better translation in Hebrew. And that stairway is set up from earth, the top of it reaching down to heaven, from heaven, and angels of God are ascending and descending upon this stairway. He had a dream in which I want to insert a little word for us. The word is behold. Because from now through the rest of this passage, this little word behold comes up all the time in Hebrew. In Hebrew, the word is hene. Can you say hene? Hene, a ladder. Hene, a stairway. And hene means, or behold means, if we want to understand what that means, it means to see for certain what's going on. It's about how you apprehend something. It's to be sure of what you've just seen. Capture this is what it means. Capture this, Hinei. Hinei, he saw a stairway. And this stairway was huge. It was huge. It was a grand staircase resting on earth, reaching to the top of heaven. And the mighty angels of God were moving up and down and ascending and descending. Like a heart, God was pumping out his angels, his holy host that were in uninterrupted communion between heaven and earth. 
royal heralds of God's majesty were carrying out and executing the declares and the decrees of the king. This is the dream Jacob sees. And in this dream, he sees the royal power and the holy majesty of God and that God is on the move. God is not stuck in one place. God is not held in time, but God is on the move. And then verse 13, And behold, Hanai, the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. God descends down this stairway, completely unsought and uninvited by Jacob. God comes right to him. He doesn't have to call from afar and get Jacob's attention in this dream. He comes very, very close and he stands over him like an adoring parent stands over a sleeping child. And he speaks words of love and assurance. He speaks love of words of love and assurance. Behold, behold the place where God is close to us. And he whispers words of love and assurance. What a precious moment to capture for us, for Jacob. I have a little prop here. It's a beautiful camera. And I'd love to take a photo of you all right now in this very moment. As God is so near to us. As God comes and speaks his words of love and assurance to us. But I took one a little earlier and you can see it on the screen behind me. This was the one I prepared earlier. But why take a photo? Why capture this moment? Because the Lord is making a swathe of unconditional promises. God is the giver. Jacob is the receiver. God says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. On the land which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. Do you remember the previous promises? Same promises, slightly different wording here. It was initially the stars in the sky was the promise to Abraham. And then the promise to Isaac was the, the grains of sand. And now you know what this promise is? The dust. I'd much prefer to be counting the stars if I had to than trying to count the dust of the earth. But on this dust of the earth, you will spread abroad from the west to the east to the north and south and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. And then again, behold, Hanei, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go, Jacob. I am with you, Jacob. I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've promised what I will do. I will not leave you. God is saying, I'm not remote. I'm not uninvolved. I'm always with you. I have always been with you and you didn't even know it. When you tricked your brother Esau, when you deceived your father Isaac, I was there. I'm always with you and I promise that I will always be with you. Friends, God is working everywhere. He is working out the intractable mess of our world and of our lives and he is doing what he said he would do. He is bringing perfect justice to the nations and love and peace to the ends of the earth, to the end of history. 
Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before him. This is what Psalm 89 says. And we just can't always see it. In fact, at times we are blind to what it is. We are blind to the power that God is out there working. And that image of the angels ascending and descending that stairway, that's just a little bit of a tearing back of what we might see. We get a glimpse of it in Jacob's dream. And what God says to Jacob is absolutely unconditional. Absolutely unconditional. Jacob can't scheme his way into any of these promises of God. He's hit rock bottom of his life. There's been a string of poor choices, stupid decisions and character flaws, yet not a word of condemnation. From God, not even a rebuke for his behaviour. How could this be? Well, friends, that stairway is a stairway of grace. That God descends into the nowhere places of people's hearts and lives. Did you know that God longs to be gracious to you? And it is indeed pure grace extended to Jacob, whose life stands in stark contrast to anything gracious. It is pure grace to Jacob. And Abraham says, sorry, God says, behold, I am with you. He says, behold, I am with you. And then you know what? These words, these very words reverberate through centuries and centuries until finally God himself in the person of Jesus Christ stands in our midst and says, lo, I am with you, even until the end of the age. I am with you, even until the end of the age. This stairway from heaven is also in stark contrast to the Tower of Babel, a previous story that you can go and refresh yourself um, with from our previous series in Genesis. Now, the Tower of Babel is a tower that was built by Jacob's descendants. It was made by their human hands, and their attempting was to reach up to the gods to have access to the heavenlies. Yet Jacob's stairway is not the product of human visions of grandeur. This stairway has holy messengers running up and down it, not pride. This structure has got holy messengers and it's a stairway from heaven to earth. A stairway from heaven to earth. And it's important to be clear about this because Jacob did not discover or have an encounter with God because God was like in a fixed geographical place. God wasn't necessarily right there and not going to move anywhere where Jacob encountered him. God simply revealed himself to Jacob in that place. He simply revealed himself. And Jacob does misunderstand this on some level. When Jacob awoke, verse 15 says, from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid. How awesome is terrified, probably is actually the really word we should be putting there. How terrifying is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He seems to think that where he geographically is, this place geographically is actually where God resides. He's like, oh, I never thought. God's just down 120 k's down the road from where I used to live. He's God. 
No, that's not what's happening. Behold, God is not just a few kilometres down the road and you might stumble upon him down there. The point of the story is that there's a stairway reaching down from heaven, not to a geographical place, but there's a stairway that goes from heaven to you. There is a stairway that goes from heaven to you, to you. Behold this place. Behold this place. Behold this place. Let's see if we can shift our thinking from being captive to whatever our external situations are, even like my pa and the way that I described that, or even being captive by just a physical location or a specific place. But rather, may we be captive and give our attention to the place of God in us. Give your attention to the place of God in you. Because we are temples of God's Holy Spirit. We are temples of the Holy Ghost. Paul says to this later on in the New Testament, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? and that God's Spirit dwells in you. And God's Spirit is restoring us and renewing us and bringing about transformation in our lives on our journey. And I think our question today is, is there something that God is requiring of us in my thinking, in my speaking, in my acting, in order to live beholden to this place of God in my life, beholden to the work of His Holy Spirit in my heart, So I'm wondering what change or transformation is the Holy Spirit wanting you and me to make in our lives that we might go deeper, be shaped more into his image and to recognise more readily his voice and his presence in and through us. Behold the place of God in our life. final connection for us in this story is the connection between Jacob and Jesus. We're skipping ahead now to the New Testament, uh, the Gospel of John. There's a passage in John chapter 1, verses 45 to 51, where Jesus has been calling to himself various people. We call them disciples, individuals that will come and follow him And earlier in John's Gospel, it had been Andrew and Peter, and then it's Philip, and now it's Nathaniel. And I really encourage you to have a bit of a read of this story, John chapter 1 at home. But Jesus says to Nathaniel, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God descending and descending upon the Son of Man. What does this mean for us? This is a couple of important things. When Jesus says this, he wasn't just talking to Nathaniel. He was talking to you, plural. He was talking to all of the disciples and anybody else who may have been present there. And also those angels that he mentions descending and ascending there is a direct reference to Jacob's dream of the stairway. Jesus is directly referencing back to that story in Genesis. But I think really importantly, what does this mean for us? Jesus is the stairway Jacob saw. Jesus is the stairway Jacob saw. Jesus is the mediator. 
Jesus is the bridge, the real gate of heaven. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And no one can come to the Father except by Him. Jesus says of Himself, I am the gate. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. They will live forever. And and they will go in and go out freely and find pasture and spiritual security. Tim Keller, a theologian we love to quote, he's paraphrasing Jesus when he says this, I have blown a hole in the concrete slab between the ideal and the real. I've come down and I've done everything for you. I've done everything for you. The precious blood of Jesus. It was shed so that none of us would feel condemnation or guilt over our sin. We just simply give that to Jesus. And instead we get to step into this smiling relationship with the gracious God who loves us. Who loves us and wants to encounter us in our moments of joy and in our moments of mess. Jesus' physical death bought for us real life, eternal life. And out of his material poverty, Jesus bought for us riches, the riches of heaven. And in this broken and weak world, he bought to bear what it is to truly be strong in him. Friends, behold the place of God in us. God is standing beside you and waiting with all that you need. There is no such thing as a place or a life where God is not working. Do you know that? Do you know that? You know, God met Jacob in this moment, as we've heard, when he was very broken. And he was indeed very surprised to discover that God was already present. He did not know it. You know, he'd been dressing up, so to speak. He'd been trying to seek the approval and the blessing. He was having to strive for it for himself. He was really having to be someone else. But God comes to Jacob and sees him laid bare. God sees him defenceless, where all the trying and all the grasping and all the lying and all the cheating... He's sleeping, he's resting, and God sees to the bottom of his being. And he loves him to bits. He loves him unconditionally. No one else can love us like that. And as Nathaniel discovered, every aspect of our lives, God sees. He knows and he sees it all, yet he loves us regardless and he accepts us regardless. When Jacob wakes, he responds to God. And if you forgive me for saying, I find that his response is a little bit average. Bunch of commentators go, either way with this, there is no agreement. It seems as though God just pours out all these, I love yous, I will do this, I'll be with you, I love you. Seems like God is pouring out all this stuff and there's not a whiff of an if. It's not if you'll do this, Jacob, or if you'll do that, or if you'll do this. There is none of that. But yet when Jacob comes to respond, there's quite a bit of that. Well, God, if you know. And so that's actually not something that we need to be too concerned about today. Because we read that about how Jacob responded. But I think the important thing for us today is how will you respond? How will you respond? How will we respond together? 
today. I think we need to recognise, we need to respond by recognising right now. Recognising right now that Jesus is present in us and at work in us. And I'm just wondering if you feel that you agree with that, whether you'd just like to stand up because we're coming to the end of our service and if you'd like to respond simply by standing up, putting your hand on your heart and saying, yes, God is at work in my life, that behold the place where God is at work. Would you like to do that now with me as a family that we just stand together? If you're online, would you like to stand as well with us? Would you like to respond with us today as a family as we say, Jesus, you are present to us and you're at work in our lives right now, right now. Let me pray. Maybe you'd like to put your hand on your heart because I'm just gonna clear these things. I'm gonna say, behold, that God is present in our life. Whatever the place, whatever the problem, whatever the situation, whatever the possibility, His life lives in us by the Holy Spirit. His power dwells in us. His resurrection power made perfect in weakness. The Lord is in this place. And this will be true. We will say this and this will be true during this week, during every day, until we come before His throne in glory. And church, why don't we just stay in this posture of prayer for a moment because I just have a question to ask those who might be here for the first time or maybe they're here this morning and you've never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we wanna invite you to respond to Jesus who by shedding His blood through the cross, His death and His resurrection gave us life and He opened heaven, made it possible for us to have fellowship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I wanna invite you to receive that as well. If that's you this morning, if you've never believed before in the Lord Jesus, we wanna give the opportunity just simply by raising your hand. Would you just raise your hand this morning if you would like to do that this morning? Thank you. What a joy. Thank you for responding. What a moment of putting faith into action. You know what we're going to do now because we do this as a church and as a family, we're going to just pray together. We're going to pray to just affirm and love these brothers and sisters who put their hand up and responded to the gospel this morning. Would you, church, say these words? May we all say them together loudly, confidently. This prayer of faith. We've prayed it before. Let's pray it again after me. Lord Jesus Christ. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything which I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I receive that gift now. Come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.